Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship on this uh, second Sunday in the season of Advent. Let's prepare our hearts and minds to worship God now as we listen to the prelude. Join me now in the call to worship that's printed here in the bulletin. A voice cries in the wilderness. Prepare the way. Create a quiet place. A voice shouts in the desert. Make ready the world. Let us worship the Lord. like to invite Alicia and Graham up now as we light the second candle of this season of Advent, the candle of peace. Last Sunday we lit the first candle in our Advent wreath, the candle of hope. It helps us to remember that Christ who was born in Bethlehem will come again to fulfill all of God's promises to us. 
The second candle of Advent is the candle of peace. Peace is a word we hear a lot. It is one of the things that we hope for. Christ brought peace when he first came to us, and he will bring everlasting peace when he comes again. He taught his disciples the importance of being peacemakers. He said that those who make peace shall be called the children of God. We light the candle of peace to remind us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and that through him peace is found. Peace is like a light shining in a dark place. As we look at this candle, we celebrate the peace we find in Jesus Christ. Let's continue now with prayer. Loving God, we do give you thanks, God of peace, God of hope, God of joy, God of love, God of faith. You've called us to this place for many paths in life, for many places, many journeys, many ways we have gotten to this place. We pray that you will help us in this time of Advent, this time of waiting, this time of preparation, to prepare a place in our own hearts for your presence, for your birth, your rebirth in us, that we might carry you into the world, even as Mary carried you in her womb. We pray that you will give us the ability to give birth ourselves, as we are called to be Jesus Christ for others and to recognize him in those we meet. Holy God, be with us now, and we pray that you will give us your blessing this day. And in a time of silent prayer, we pray that you will meet us now by your Spirit. And from out of the silence, God's people say together, Amen. Let's pray together now the prayer of preparation and confession that's printed here in the bulletin. Loving God, you kept your promise to bring light into the world and to guide our steps into the paths of peace. You sent us your son, Jesus, and from him we receive salvation. Yet we confess to being less than faithful in our response. We have been tentative and cautious rather than bold and generous. We have feared what people will think rather than speak a prophetic word like John the Baptist. We have packed our calendars with busyness and neglected your wisdom to be still. We look to material things and work success to bring meaning to our lives and forget that our worth lies in being beloved children of God. Redeeming God, may your coming once again reorder our priorities renew our commitments, and refashion our witness. Cast out our sin and enter in through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the good news of this day and of this season of Advent and every day and season of your life is that in Jesus Christ, God does forgive you. God loves you, sets you free. God casts out sin and enters in by the Holy Spirit to be with you and guide you to become the person you were meant to be. So receive that good news. Be assured that it's true and be at peace. Amen. Let's stand and greet those that are around us. We welcome you to worship this day. Uh, if you're on the inside aisle, please take the pew pad and sign yourself in and pass it on down. Uh, if you're uh, watching on uh, Facebook or on the website, we welcome you as well. Visitors, special welcome to you. There's a place there that you can give us your contact information. If you turn to the color page in your bulletins, you will see that um, we've got all kinds of things happening here Christmas-wise. Last night there was a big concert, as you can see. Tonight's concert is sold out, the second night of it is sold out tonight. We're having um, the, well the first thing you notice is the thermometer. This is our pledge campaign. We're about two-thirds of the way there. We need a million and a half every year to run the church and uh, we have a little bit over a million. If you have not sent your pledge card in, there, is, there are cards right there in the pew in front of you. If you could do that or you can go online on the church website and make your pledge. We're hoping to get all of these in by Christmas time as well. 
lots of different other activities going on. Following this service, right in the room, right outside here, we will have the alternative gift market and the bake sale, the Alter Guild bake sale. So there's goodies in there to buy. There is the, you can stop by and pick up one of the catalogs for the alternative gift market. You can shop today or you can take it home and look through it. Uh, this is a great way to celebrate Christmas by giving to somebody who is in need and then having a card to give to your loved one or your friend. Also, you'll notice there that they're on the Adopt-A-Family program, we, had, we took 15 families and we have 12 that have been adopted and we have three left. Just one left now? We have one left. There, there, there you go, your last opportunity. Uh, otherwise, though, if you look at the other announcement page, there's also an announcement where we're collecting supplies for the refugees, our Afghan refugee families, so you can participate in that as well. We invite you to come afterwards and have some coffee and to participate in that. Before I pray, I just wanted to you know, play off of that whole idea of we're in the season of giving and the, the season of getting together and celebrating the coming of Jesus. And also, you know, there's lots of opportunities to get together and socialize and have parties. And isn't it a great thing to be able to give a gift to somebody that really helps them a lot through the holiday season? And so in that spirit, I thought I would share with you today, both those of you here as well as those of you online, a gift that I have purchased for Bill McNabb that will help him get through the holiday season of parties and socializing and all of that kind of stuff. I spent a, a lot of time, maybe 25 seconds in Target the other day, and I came up with this awesome sweater for Bill McNabb, just his size too, and it says, winter is coming. It's a Game of Thrones themed uh, sweater that he can wear through all the parties and everything else. And so Bill, with all the due respect, I give you this lovely sweater to get you through the holiday season. John, thank you so much. This is so awesome, so, so incredibly wonderful. See you, Don. Is this the ugliest thing you have ever seen? I wouldn't wear this to a dog fight. Oh my gosh, they made something like this? Oh, please, please. Don't make the mistake that Don made. Go to the alternative gift market. For 50 bucks that he spent on this thing, you can give somebody a cataract operation. You can buy chickens for a poor family. There's amazing stuff in here. Don't make Don's mistake. Go to this thing. Yeah, I just had to step out a second. I'm really glad he liked it a lot. So anyway, let us continue now in prayer. Loving God, we do give you thanks for this day, for the, the many gifts, all the things that we have, all the things that we are, the people who we are, and the people who we will become. All of this is a gift from you, the gift of life itself. And so thank you, God. We give you praise and glory. We are your people, created by you, created to be your arms and legs and eyes and ears and hearts and minds in this world. By your spirit, you've given all of us the ability to discern the path we should go amid all the various paths the world offers. You have shown us wisdom and understanding and offered us the chance to choose good over evil, yet we haven't always been as thoughtful or as faithful as we could be. Sometimes we even use our freedom to serve forces in our lives that go against your will, forces that are conscious, subconscious, internal, external. And for that, we are truly sorry. And we want to change. So take us as we are right now and transform us, empower us to have wise and understanding minds and faithful, giving hearts. Holy God, help us, each one of us, to live at peace with you and with ourselves and with our neighbors. 
Help our nation to live at peace with other nations so that we can turn our energy and our resources away from any tasks or talk of destruction and towards the many crying needs of the poor, the young, and anyone who needs your special presence, your gifts, your love, your mercy, your, who needs a home, who needs a heart, who needs ears to listen to them, whether in this country, around the world. Help us to reorder our own living and to be more sensitive to those who have so very little. Help us to remember the sick, the lonely, the grieving, just each day, not just every once in a while. And so we take a moment to pray in silence for all those for whom we have special concern today. Wise and compassionate God, we call ourselves your people. We call ourselves Christians, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. So help us to be worthy of our calling. Jesus called us the salt of the earth and the light of the world, so may we joyfully undertake the tasks before us that through his church, through this church, we may be your instruments of bring, bringing light and making peace in this world. Give all of us the will and the ability to fulfill the promises that we've made to you and to one another in baptism, in ordination, in membership, in marriage, and in all of our other commitments to care and to serve. All this we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ, who teaches us to pray together with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I also want to mention that one of our long-term members passed away this week, James Obando, who uh, has lived for many, many years with his family out here on Highland Avenue and has come to our church so many times. Uh, his daughter, Marine Redan, and their family, our thoughts and prayers are with them. I don't have word yet on a memorial service for uh, Jimmy, but uh, we'll let you know our thoughts and prayers with those who cared for James Obando.
We have two passages of Scripture for today, for the second Sunday in Advent here. The first comes from Isaiah. It will be familiar to anyone who's heard Handel's Messiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for, for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. And uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, we have one of Jesus' parables that he tells here in chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. Go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other versions came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. Well, I want to talk with you today, a continuation of what we were speaking about last week, which was preparing for Christmas. I want to share some thoughts about how you could make Christmas this year the most meaningful you have ever had how you could have Christmas be a spiritual experience in your life. You see, there's a depth, a reality, a promise in Christmas. And this depth has nothing to do with the holiday, or families, or receiving gifts. It has to do with God's eternal promise that we can have a new life. We can start over. We can begin again be born anew. And if we want that, it can happen in our lives. At the end of the musical Scrooge, about uh, Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol, and you know, Scrooge has had these visions, and, and he's totally had a change of heart. And at the end of the, the play, he sings, and I'll thank my lucky stars that I am able to begin again. We prepare for Christmas by starting now. By asking ourselves the question I mentioned last week, what do you want out of Christmas this year? Not what do you want for Christmas. What do you want out of Christmas? What do you want to happen to you this year, to you and to others? Do you want to bring joy to someone? Who? Do you want to feel the deeper meaning of the birth of Jesus? Do you want to be reborn? Do you want a lot of presents? Do you want some time alone just for you? You may aim high or low, but your dream will help decide what kind of Christmas it will be. You can choose to do nothing. You can wait and hope that somebody else will make it a good Christmas for you. And maybe they will. But what you do now can make a difference. You can choose to make it a good Christmas for someone else, and your own Christmas will be influenced. You see, your anticipation makes things happen. Just like your anticipation of someone's birthday 
can cause that birthday to become something very exciting. Your anticipation gathers energy around it and causes things to happen. That's why we don't have Christmas boom like that. We have these four weeks, Advent, and the purpose of Advent is to build up anticipation for Christmas. To anticipate Christmas is to set aside a Thursday night to bake nut bread for some special person, surprising them and you. To make a handmade gift or to write a poem. To anticipate Christmas is to decide now that miracles are possible and that some are going to happen. It's to stand out in the backyard on a cold night and look at the stars and just remember that night that Jesus was born. To celebrate Christmas is to prepare for something great to happen to you. You have to do it by getting ready. Isaiah likes the image of getting a road ready, preparing a highway in the desert. John the Baptist picked up the same image and used it in the New Testament. Get the road ready for God to come into your life. I remember the first time that Maureen and I went to Africa, 1987. We went to look for a mission hospital that our church in Southern California could support and help. We drove all around the country of Malawi, and I remember people had tried to prepare me about driving in Africa. They said, Bill, now you just, just be ready. There are potholes the size of your car, and the roads are horrible there. So I was prepared, but when we got to the airport in Malawi, in the long way, we pulled out of the airport, we got a rental car, pulled out onto this road, it was the most beautiful four-lane tarmac I had ever seen in my life. You know how when a road is brand new, it's really black? And how the stripes are really white? This was just the most immaculate thing I had ever seen. I said, those people were really exaggerating. And then we got into town. We got to the missionary's house, the Dimmicks, where we were staying. And I realized, I found out what was happening. The Pope was coming the next week. And the only road that he was going to go on was from the airport to the center of town and back. So that five miles of road was the only decent road in Malawi. I found that out after the rest of the trip was over. That one, they had gotten that one road perfect and ready for him to come. And then we have this amazing parable. I have a confession to make. I have never liked this parable. And I have not preached on it very often. I remember the first time I heard it, though. I was raised in a church that was very fundamentalist, very fire and brimstone, very kind of just judgmental, and a lot of hell and all that kind of stuff and fear. And one time, a visiting evangelist was speaking at our church, and he was even more fire and brimstone than our regular guy. And he chose this passage which is a parable of judgment. This was his text. And he used it to, to get us to worry, and to be, be afraid that we're going to be the ones shut out of the, the, the wedding. We're going to be the ones shut out into eternal darkness and torment of hell. And he closed his sermon by saying, and who will you spend eternity with? The five wise or the five foolish virgins? And my friend said, wow, what a choice. Man. He wanted us to be afraid of what happened to the foolish virgins. So you got the picture, right? They all have lamps. Their oil lamps are full. But the five wise virgins have an extra thing of oil that they have taken, just in case. The other ones just have the regular amount of oil that's in the lamp. But an unexpected thing occurred. The groom was delayed. Now let me explain how a wedding works in those days. It's not like nowadays where the bridesmaids walk the bride down the aisle. They accompany her. In those days, the bride and the family and all the guests are already in the building where the wedding is going to happen. And the bridesmaid's job 
is to escort the groom into the wedding. That's their big job. They're going to stand outside and they're going to wait for the groom to come and escort him into the wedding. But we don't know when this wedding was supposed to start, but the groom doesn't show up until midnight. What, five, six, seven hours later? I don't know many grooms that could be that late and expect to still get married. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And so he finally shows up at midnight, and so they've had, their their oil has gone out, the, the ones that didn't bring the extra thing of the oil, you know, um, can you really blame them for not carting around an extra gallon jug of oil? I call them the, the five neurotic virgins, the, the worried virgins. My gosh. I mean, we all know that our car battery is going to go out someday, but do we keep a spare one in the trunk just in case? And then I've always been baffled at the response of the five so-called wise virgins. When their friends run out of oil and ask them to share, they refuse. They refuse. I think of them as the selfish, greedy, unchristian versions. Because they won't share with their friends. Now maybe this aversion to them comes from the fact that I'm a parent. And any of you who are parents know how much energy we put into teaching our kids to share. It's so important, right, that we teach them to share because sharing doesn't come naturally to kids. The third word that they learn after mommy and daddy is mine, not share. So we we have to go through elaborate rituals of teaching and teaching to teach our kids that this is a Christian value and we're supposed to share. And so, so why does Jesus hold these virgins up that refuse to share as an example of wisdom? All of a sudden, one day I got it. A light went off, and I realized what this was about. Jesus is pointing out that there's one thing that you cannot share, and that is your own preparation. You cannot share your personal preparation. Last week, I gave the, the image or the story of what would happen if Steve Main and I both decided to train for a marathon. In the six months, we're going to run a marathon together. We're going to do it and check it off our bucket list. But in those six months, if Steve trains every day, runs farther and farther and farther, and I just sit and watch sports on TV, when the marathon comes and I'm dying at the second mile, and he's doing great, no matter how much he loves me or cares about me, he cannot help me, can he? Because he cannot share his preparation with me. If two friends who've graduated from law school are getting ready for the bar exam, and one of them studies and studies and studies day and night, weekends, and the other just kind of goes off, parties, has fun, no matter how much you might care about your friend, You cannot share your preparation. This is about some women who failed to do the one thing that they could do is to prepare. So to have a spiritually satisfying Christmas, you have to prepare for it. No minister, no choir, no concert can give it to you. Only you can prepare your own heart. You can choose Christmas just as you can choose no Christmas. You can choose for nothing to happen to you this Christmas. You can hold on to your pain and your anger and your sadness, and many people do. Clyde Reed, in his little book, You Can Choose Christmas, has pointed out that many people hold on to their pain because at least it's a feeling, and that's better than no feeling at all. I have known quite a few, and I've hung on to hurt myself too long. And if our energy is too occupied holding on to our old pain and our old grievances, then there can be no Christmas for us, no birth of hope, no deep joy. But we choose, we make the choice to hold on or to let go. We choose our own happiness or our own lack of happiness. I've noticed uh, 
every year when I go and do my one day of shopping for Christmas, the third week in December, I take one day, I got my list, and I go to the mall, and I always hate it, I always dread it, dread it, but, I've, but, but I have noticed that when I'm doing that mall experience, there seem to be two kinds of people. There are some people who are having a good time. They're really enjoying it. They're, they're happy and excited about the gifts that they're going to give other people. Then there's the other half of people who are just dreading it. They're just going through the motions. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, this is interesting. This is obviously a choice of an attitude. Because both groups of people have the same actual experience. Both have the same lack of parking spaces. Both have the same long lines. Both have the same cranky checkout clerks. They have the same experience. But because of their attitude, some have chosen a different experience of going to the mall than others. I know you're saying, oh, but Bill, you don't understand. I've got 25 people coming to my house, including my mother-in-law who likes nothing. And I have a lot of pressure on me. I know, I know. But I wonder if some of the restrictions that we feel on our Christmas joy are really kind of imaginary and of our own doing. I heard the story of a man who was visiting the Ringling Brothers Circus in its headquarters in Sarasota, Florida one winter. And he was there and he was looking at the, uh, the elephants. And he noticed that every elephant had a big, thick rope tied around its foot. But the rope wasn't tied to anything else. And the man said, ah, there's a problem here. These elephants are not tied up. And the elephant handler said, oh yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. We never tie them up. We just put the rope around their leg and drop the rope and they think they're tied up. They're not even tied up. But they think they are. How many, how many ropes are actually in our minds as opposed to around our feet or our hands that we have created by our own attitudes. One of my favorite writers is Robert Fulgham and he wrote about Christmas. He said, I usually draw up a heavy duty things to do list about this time of year. I'm a black belt at lists. I even have lists of lists. Seven pages of expectations that are in themselves enough to permanently destroy the spirit of Christmas. But this year, I started from somewhere else in my mind. New list. One page. A things-to-be list. Concentrating on the feelings I wanted to have. The condition of mind and spirit I yearned for. The quality of life I wanted to manifest. The vibrations I wanted to give off to other people. A things-to-be list for Christmas. And then I boiled the list down into one word. And I wrote that word on a tiny little piece of paper. And I wrapped it around a candy cane and I ate it. Well, sure, it's a little crazy, but since when is Christmas supposed to make sense? I suppose you want to know what that one word was. Nope. you got to work it out for yourself. Like Christmas, if it ain't inside of you somewhere, all the lists in the world won't make it happen. And the last thing that you can do to have this Christmas be the most meaningful one you've ever had is to give a gift to Jesus. You know, they talk about the, how hard it is to give a gift to the person who has everything. Jesus is kind of like the perfect example of that, right? I mean, he created the universe. He sits on the right hand of God the Father. What are you going to give Jesus? Well, luckily, he, he made it easy for us. In the last parable that he ever told, right after this virgin's one, he told about the separating of the sheep and the goats. And he said, he gave the criteria of how you're going to be judged, how the nations and the individuals are judged. And it's just four simple things. You feed people who are hungry. You give water to those who are thirsty. You visit those who are in jail. And you give clothes to those who are naked. 
Those are the four things that he talked about. So, so shelter, food, water, and care. He said, and then when, he said, when you do this to the, quote, least of these, my brothers, the least of these, he said, you're actually doing it to me. So the way that we can give a gift to Jesus, to God, and to, to have a spiritual experience is to give a gift to the poorest. It's to, it's to go down and, and, and work at the soup kitchen. It's to go over to the alternative gift market and decide that you're going to give a, an operation, eye operation to somebody who can't see or some chickens for somebody to raise that doesn't have any money. When you do that, when you tutor uh, children, when, when you give a gift to those who are in need, that's what makes your heart filled with love at Christmas time. So God gave us this wonderful, wonderful, easy opportunity to make our Christmas incredibly meaningful. And we do that by giving a gift to Jesus. Amen. In royal David's city stood a lowly cattle shed, where a mother laid her baby in a
Let's give thanks together now as we pray together the prayer of thanksgiving that's printed here in the bulletin. Holy and gracious God, we stand before you as your people. We offer to you what we can in anticipation of your coming again to earth. You give us so much and we give you so little, yet you are gracious to bless what we can give. So accept the gifts we offer today and transform them into the work of your reign on this earth as we make ready for the newborn Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, as you leave this place, I remind you that you go forth as representatives and as ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So li live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>